Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today, I have Tork Barayan. He also goes by Torky. He's a student at the Ohio State University. He's a P4 there, so in his last year. And he recently was actually featured in the Columbus Dispatch for his work as not only just a pharmacy student, but a pharmacy student who actually raps, which is very unique. And you're going to see why when we dive into this episode. So welcome to the podcast, Torky. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for having me. No, the pleasure's all mine because what you're doing is really cool and it really pushes a message that you know, most people don't get the way that you're doing it. So you're rapping a lot about pharmacy and like overdoses and things like that, which is obviously a hot topic. It's something very personal. Can you kind of explain the story behind like why you make the music you make? Uh, so the music, to be honest with you, has kind of always been there in my life. You know, I, um, I started writing poems in middle school back when I lived in Montreal in Canada. I, I kind of liked looking at words as if they were puzzle pieces to a bigger picture and I was laying them down brick by brick and then by the time I got into high school I also fell in love with chemistry which to me was just a different kind of puzzle you know elements and chemical compounds are like words to a poem but eventually I wanted to take it a step further I fell in love with rap music and uh, started writing poems to music Uh, but you know once I got to college uh, I kind of stopped I kind of felt the pressure that it was this unreasonable goal to pursue that you know, I was moving on to, you know, pursuing a bachelor's of pharmaceutical sciences, and maybe I should, you know, put those childish dreams, quote unquote, behind. Um, so I kind of just put it on hold. Um, and then in 2017, I graduated with a bachelor's in pharmaceutical sciences, and I also minored in addiction and drug misuse. Um, it was just something that piqued my curiosity, but I didn't have any personal ties to it at the time. And then in pharmacy school, in the fall of 2017, I kind of let my mind wander in class. And instead of doodling, sometimes I'll just write words or phrases that come to mind. And that eventually turned into the the War on Drugs, the song that I released uh, earlier this year. But then I, you know, pharmacy school kind of took off and, and I got, you know, I got a little bit sidetracked with school and whatnot. So put the song on hold. Uh, unfortunately, my brother passed, um, you know, in, in May of 2019. So I don't really believe in omens and whatnot. But at the same time, I felt like, you know, I've been writing music since middle school. I kind of always had an interest in addiction rehab and that side of healthcare. Um, I write the song. And then, you know, the, that last push that I needed was having to experience it in real life. And so I felt like once I was you know, done grieving, I felt like I owed it to him to finish the song and released it like I planned. And, you know, I finally got to do that in September of this year uh, on his birthday. Wow. That's really, that's really kind of, kind of cool that you released it on his birthday. And I, man, I'm sorry if you're lost. Opioids have obviously affected just millions of people in this country with just the loss because it's so widespread. And I really think that that's cool that you can kind of, this is something you were interested in earlier on and once it hit you, you decided to kind of act on it and have like a creative release for it, which I'm sure was great therapy. Is that kind of what it was for you? Absolutely. You know, um, everybody grieves their own way. And I'm definitely one of those people that, you know, if I see a problem and maybe this is like, you know, the, the pharmacist in me that's coming out when I see a problem, I like to think, okay, well, how can we solve this problem? You know, cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that could be done. And there's a lot of things that I could say that I wish were to happen, but 
I prefer to be an agent of change. And I think being a pharmacy student that's soon to be a pharmacist and also being someone who's felt this on a very personal level, I felt like that put me in a very unique position to both kind of speak on this in both in both angles, you know, from a, hey, you know, I've been here before and I understand the feeling of, you know, being invincible. And, you know, my brother was like that, you know, he felt like he was king of the world. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, I study this from, you know, in, in the lecture halls. I know exactly how these drugs work and addiction is not a perfected science, but I'd like to bring light to some of the more uh, gloomy sides of, of the drug glorification that we sometimes hear in, in a lot of pop music today. Yeah. And people, when they're in that that environment, whether the addiction or, you know, that atmosphere and you're trying to relate to them having the experiences you have there personal, they always shine through. Like people, they, they can just feel that. They know that you've been there from how you communicate with them. And that's one thing that, you know, not every pharmacist is able to do. So I think that's why something like this is so telling. Addiction had me scared. The journal said it's rare. I wonder what could go wrong. At the epicenter of an epidemic fueled by faulty academics, corporate greed and lack of ethics. It's quite poetic. You know, I think one of the, the biggest barriers when it comes to people seeking uh, help when it comes to substance use disorders is the stigma behind what people or what society has deemed the prototypical drug user or substance user to be. You know, it's like this constant feeling of being judged, I feel like, holds people back from being honest with others or like, you know, expressing the fact that they need help. When you study addiction rehab and all of that, you know, you understand that relapsing is part of the process. You know, nobody just makes it to a full recovery overnight. And, you know, those are miracle cases. But I think another barrier that we have to overcome as pharmacists is when people come into our pharmacies, whether it's hospital or retail, and relating to them as people. You know, I know that I'm just a guy with a lab coat on and that can be a little bit intimidating, but I just want the best for you at the end of the day. I want you to be at your healthiest. Um, I want to make sure you pay the least amount of money for your medications. I want to work with you. Um, if there's ever any issues with, you know, you not getting your medications, um, it's never us being malicious about it. You know, we're doing everything we can. And I think that's not the default setting that some people have, you know. Uh, and I think we can we can put our best step forward in, in reaching other people. And I think music is just a different avenue that I'm doing to do that. Yeah. And nowadays where you got Instagram, Facebook, like this whole culture around presenting yourself as like a certain image, people get very guarded about that. Like how many times do you walk in and ask someone, how are you doing today? And the first thing out of everyone's mouth is, oh, I'm doing good or I'm doing okay. Like, you know, they might not be. And I, that's kind of like a different mindset here is when, you know, you're talking with somebody, you, they might say that, but then you got to kind of like dig a little bit deeper, you know, like, oh, are you sure? Let's talk about this. You know, you got to break down that wall, like you're saying there. And I think that's key, especially when you talk about, you know, addiction and mental health things that have such a stigma around them, uh, no matter where you are in this country. And like you said, that's, that's so huge. And, you know, like you said, you're the guy in the white lab coat. But I like to try and make people picture me without the lab coat on because then they really open up to you a lot more. That, that white lab coat can be awfully intimidating sometimes. Yeah, and it's not that I'm afraid of, you know, uh, you know, wearing the lab coat and, you know, being proud of the fact that I've earned a doctorate level degree. But at the same time, I picked pharmacy because, in my opinion, in my mind, it's a people's job. You know, it's, it's you know, you work with people. You're trying to treat people at the end of the day. And I like communicating with people. I like interacting with people. I you know, I dream of having my own independent pharmacy, you know, 15 years down the line, whether it's something that I build up from scratch or something that I acquire, you know, having that small town pharmacist mentality in a rural area somewhere. I love that. I would love to just 
know a lot of my customers on a first name basis and be a part of the community. And I think that's, you know, when I think community pharmacy or community pharmacist, like I really want people to remember the first key word there is community. Like I really just want to help people. Yeah. So I think the lab coat is a barrier that can, you know, make people a little bit shy, but you know, it's, it's not a big deal. I can hang it up and go talk to somebody. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Speaking as somebody who is going to be a pharmacist, you're almost there. What role do you think pharmacists should take in something like this to help improve the opioid and addiction issues? I think I like to think of pharmacists as kind of like the last line of defense. You know, we're the last person that the patient talks to, if it's a new medication especially, but before they go home with their medication, with their therapy. It's not that pharmacists, you know, have a lot of, you know, a lot of free time right now. You know, we have a ton of things that we are doing and then a a ton more things that we wish we could do if we had more time. So I don't want to predispose pharmacists to, to, you know, burnout or compassion fatigue. But I do think the key thing with opioid use and the opioid epidemic is just the lack of education. And so I think not just pharmacists, but everybody in the healthcare community, everybody on the healthcare team, uh, including the support system of the patients or the family and friends, everybody just needs to be educated on the opioids themselves, the ways that you recognize overdoses, the way that you administer naloxone, all of that has to be communicated to the patient, especially, and their support system. So I think that's the key thing that pharmacists should do. And I'm not saying we don't do it as it is. I just wish we had more time and resources to be able to do that. What I'm hearing from you kind of putting two and two together here is that something like provider status, which I've harped on a lot in the podcast, huge fan of it, would go a long way in a space like this. In fact, in our state of Ohio, one of the main reasons we got it was so that in part we could not be incentivized to just fill pills and you know send them out the door. That way we could either refuse them when they're unappropriate or inappropriate or you know provide counsel when people need it. And that kind of fills everything that you're talking about here, right? Like not that we want to deny some of their medication, that's never their goal, but there might be a case where we can prevent it from falling in what looks to be bad actors' hands, which would then perpetuate addiction issues like that. And I'm just spitballing here when I'm thinking of this, like maybe we can kind of give like that first week of something like Suboxone and then help to get them into treatment because we know how hard it is to get in there. Or maybe we can work with some of these uh, providers' offices so that they can see more patients and we can use our provider status under them to help get people their medication, to help to help them see more patients and have better access to things like this. Is that something that you think would be a huge win here? Absolutely. And I think that could even open doors to collaborating with other healthcare professionals just because of that provider status boost to our capabilities within that realm. You know, if I, a pharmacist can, you know, kind of start or initiate MAT for a patient, and hopefully that enables me to connect the patient without the need to communicate with the doctor directly to connect the patient to uh, a social worker, a case manager, and all the resources that they might need from my office or on my own time. That would be amazing considering that doctors already have such a time crunch with their patients that I'm sure they mean well. And I'm sure that, you know, if a doctor had as much time in the world, they would give them all the resources, but they have to give them what they can on that time. Uh, So again, with provider status, that will give everybody the incentive to uh, provide those services, which at the end of the day benefits the patient, it benefits the healthcare institution, it reduces the overall cost of the healthcare system. So it is a win-win-win for everyone. We just need actors on the political level to kind of push for it. And, you know, I'm so glad that the the motion is heading in our direction and we're kind of moving with with the wind right now, but you know, the fight is is far from over at this point. And I think we really should be pushing forward in Ohio 
and, you know, hopefully on a national level. Yeah. And especially when we're talking about something like Suboxone, obviously there's a lot of stigma. Pharmacists might not be comfortable just kind of doing this right away from the get-go. Maybe an extra level of training would be required or, you know, something along those lines. Totally get that. I'm not trying to disrespect what the addiction specialists do by any means because I know some of them personally. But this is just one of those things that we can kind of help supplement and help kind of with the whole process. And the one thing that people forget is, yes, Suboxone's like a C3, if I remember correctly off the top of my head. But it's a lot harder, if not damn near impossible for most of these people to OD on Suboxone. When you're talking opioids and fentanyl, it's a hell of a lot easier to do that. So if we can avoid that, then we're saving money. And like you said, the system just ends up being a lot more fruitful for everybody. So I think that's a huge call that you made there. And I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. You know, and I feel like that's one of the things that might hold people back initially, you know, it's, um, well, how are we going to supply all of this and how, where is the money going to come from for all of this education and all of that? I would honestly argue that it's going to pay for itself very quickly. And like I said, the, the benefits to the healthcare system and just the overall, um, hopefully the overall reduction in overdoses and just overdose deaths related deaths. Yeah. And keeping mouth ER for overdoses and ambulance rides and things like that. That just is a huge figure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a prophet of the truth, know that pharmacists ain't profiting from death among the youth. We ain't starting these addictions with prescriptions through the roof. That description isn't true, it's just a few who are in coop. Time to save a whole profession, gotta grind and pay attention, make connections, learn the lessons, look the wicked in the eyes and maybe ask a couple questions. Like why the drugs you make today kill more than Smith & Wessons. So, you know, one thing when people talk about, they're like, hey, why are you getting somebody who who raps, obviously, on a political podcast? I think we kind of hit on some of that, but kind of want to remind listeners that almost all music has some aspects of politics in it from this whole, like, last century plus. Like Billie Holiday singing Strange Fruit, which if you don't know it, go look that song up. That's a, one of the first huge ones that even got the, the CIA, I think it was the CIA investigating her on that. NWA, everyone kind of knows what they did with hip hop in the 80s, early 90s. The Dixie Chicks, Toby Keith, and kind of some of that you remind me a lot of with things you talk about are, you know, Macklemore, but even in the Vietnam area, Buffalo, Springfield, Edwin Starr, so many music really is about politics and kind of how it affects people. And the one thing that is key to this is music motivates change. It just charismatically underlines like some of these issues we have in society, which is why I think it's such a powerful message. And yeah, you may be very young in what you're doing and you have only, you know, kind of put out a, a few different songs, but if you keep up what you're doing, it will connect with somebody. It might be a pharmacist, might be a patient, who knows? And that's why I think this is kind of such a big topic and why I wanted you on here. So one thing that I want to ask you is who are your musical and political influences that kind of, we know about your personal ones, but your musical and political influences that really kind of led you with your message the way that it is? Man, my musical influence, I grew up uh, listening to a lot of Lupe Fiasco, a lot of Eminem, just very, very prolific lyricists. You know, they, I mean, Lupe Fiasco has an extensive vocabulary and he's just an amazing storyteller. And Eminem will find ways to make words rhyme that shouldn't be possible. And, you know, he just he forces things to work his way. He bends them to his will. And I think that's so powerful, you know, considering he's a Caucasian man who very successfully made it in the rap industry. So I always looked up to his willingness to go against the grain and say, no, you know what? I am good enough to do this. But more recently, Kendrick Lamar and J. Cole, you know, the, the movement is kind of called conscious rap, you know, very political music with a message, I'd like to say. And I feel like being infatuated with just the idea of playing with words from my youth and the 
you know, the want to make a change, to be an agent of change, uh, kind of ties into who I listen to. Um, so that's kind of on the music side. For the political influences, to be honest, nothing really resonates with me that strongly these days. And, you know, I think as, a, as an international student, um, you know, having lived in, in Montreal for a few years and then in the U.S., it's been, it's been kind of a foreign experience. I definitely think that I you know, have my own views in terms of, uh, you know, the left versus right or whatever. I think I lean a little bit to the left. And if anything, you know, what's Congresswoman Cortez, I think she did this one uh, Twitch stream where she like played video games for charity. And that one night raised like thousands of dollars. And to me, that's like, that's kind of what I'm trying to do with music. You know, to me, it's just me having fun. It's me doing what I want to do, but at the end of the day, like I want some outcome out of it. You know, she raised thousands of dollars for, for charity and I just want to be able to, to help somebody out with my music. Like you said, I wanted to connect with somebody and make a difference. So I think she's really cool. And this is kind of a really interesting thing. I, I'm reading the autobiography of Malcolm X right now, and we share the same birth date, which <laughs> I think is really cool. Uh, we're both born on May 19th. But yeah, I think, I think all agents of change that's a Gandhi quote, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. Um, I think that's Gandhi. So please correct me if it's not. I, I don't uh, remember, but it is but, a, it is something I really, really do believe in. Yeah. So I, I would just, instead of saying what I think the rap game should say, or instead of thinking or saying what I think people should be doing, I'm just going to be the person that's going to go out and say the things and do the things because I feel like somebody's got to do it. And I feel perfectly comfortable taking on that role. Yeah, and that's tough to do with like the pressure of society these days. Even when you're a pharmacist, like you're pressured to do this way or act this way or you know whatever it is, right? To meet this metric, if you will, sometimes, and doing it your own way, if you know that it's better or you know that it's it's the way that you feel is best, is is really key. And people people appreciate that because it's just being true to yourself. And one thing you alluded to earlier that I kind of want to make sure to highlight is a lot of pop music glorifies drug use to some extent and i mean i'm not gonna lie there's a lot of songs i know that do it whether it's you know using talking about things like scissor with little wayne or some of the songs are like you know just talking about percocet and molly and so on obviously you are somebody who's experienced loss from this and you know i cannot state how hard that is on somebody but like what do you feel when you hear that like does that bother you and do you think that it will change at all and, you know, in terms of if it bothers me or not, you know, I had conflicting feelings about it because prior to my own experiences, like, you know, my mindset was, you know, it's just music, it's harmless, like, let people have fun with it, which is, you know, kind of ironic because now I'm trying to, you know, use my music to make a change, right. you know, so it kind of put that on its head. But I've always seen rap as a way of self-expression, you know, and it was always, rap especially was, has always been about letting people speak their truths. You know, like you mentioned, Billie Holiday and the CIA, you know, NWA, NWA was pretty much, you know, a big F you to the blissfully ignorant white America <laughs> about how, how black people were treated in Compton and in California under blues brutality. You know, the FBI got involved with them, too. So I'm not against artists speaking their truths. So I think the way that I've come to, you know, be at peace with it is if you're out there popping pills and doing whatever drug you want under the sun, then who am I to say you shouldn't say that? Because... I don't need to remind the hip hop community about losing young artists to opioid overdoses. Mac Miller is a huge name that we lost uh, just last year. Same with Juice World. Uh, big names. Uh, Juice World himself was very up and coming and he was rising. Like, you know, you wouldn't believe he was getting really big. And then 
he was one of those artists that glorified it and then happened to die of it. So I think instead of trying to tell young rappers today what to say, I just rather tell them what I think should be said. So that's what I'm doing. And I hope that the way that I think about it, I hope that people get a chance to listen to what I have to say. That way they can make an informed decision because I feel like, just like you said, a lot of popular music, rap and otherwise, glorifies some type of um, drug misuse. And if that's all that people are hearing, then it's it's hard to to change their mind. But if they're at least hearing something else to kind of act as, you know, the other side of the argument, then at least it'll be a change. But I, I feel like it's irresponsible and or it's inappropriate for me to tell people what to say on, on their music um, because I wouldn't want anybody to tell me what to say on my records. Yeah, no, totally get that free speech dance there. And I do like the way that you're trying to role model to be a difference. I think that's a huge thing that cannot be understated enough. We even saw, as you referred to, Eminem, he's made a big change in his early days versus after he went through a lot of addiction issues, which just shows, you know, the pen can be more powerful than the sword, if if not when used appropriately. As you were talking about, like, overdoses, I was not a big fan of Juice World. I did know about... I did know about Mac Miller, but this isn't something that's just a recent and just rap. Like this goes back to the days of, you know, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Billie Holiday, as we previously mentioned, had addiction issues, Kurt Cobain, like every generation seems to lose one or more people to this. And it's not even a certain type of music. It it goes across almost every genre of music. We've seen country musicians have issues with either the alcohol or opiates or whatever it is. And so this is a person issue. This is not like a section of society issue per se. This goes across everywhere. Hank Williams, uh, I think Hank Williams Sr. was also had some issues with drug abuse and being a bad womanizer. But besides that, you know, it's, it, this is something that just goes across all genres here. So I, I thank you for what you're doing, but I can't let you get off my podcast without the two questions I ask everybody. Now, I know you're in your younger days of pharmacy, but I think you have a unique perspective here. If you could change one mm-hmm. thing about pharmacy, not a law, but just one thing about pharmacy, what would it be? Not a law. Um, I think the way that pharmacy school is is still taught is a little bit archaic. I think my experience was a lot of sitting in a lecture hall and, you know, uh, being lectured about details of the pharmacology of a drug or the drug class and every little detail about it, you know, and I would get tested on it. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of that information, I just had to kind of dump out of my head. I had to scavenge what was most important. And then it was just on to the next thing. And then I felt like a lot of that time was spent in the classroom. And yeah, of course, I did some rotations here and there. But I really wish we spent more time outside of the classroom. You know, if more work was assigned to me at home about reading the, the drug classes and then getting in class and discussing the important things for clinical use and then sending me out on more rotations so I could explore different areas of pharmacy, like more apprenticeship style, I would love it if we could just go back to that. So that is the one thing that I would change. I wish pharmacy teaching or education was more interactive than it is right now. That's interesting. I do think a lot more people would learn like that. I know I'm like you, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to like the way we learn, class was always a struggle for me. I don't have ADHD or anything like that, but just sitting there, I'm a very active person. So it's hard for me to always be a hundred percent dialed in and focused. Like I'm not someone who's going to sit there and take notes on every last line. I'm going to try and learn more of the critical thinking and how do I apply this to real world? And like this, I'm a different type of learner than probably most pharmacy students are. So I agree. I think that's an interesting take and I kind of like that. Yeah. I just wish I would be able to interact more than just, you know, being lectured at, you know, and it's not that all the professors were bad or anything. I'm not trying to disrespect anybody. No, you go to a very good school of pharmacy. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it's just a different method of teaching, and I think that would have helped me be more engaged as well. Gotcha. Now, if you could change one law, federal or state, what would it be? I struggled with this one because, like you said, I'm kind of young, so I kind of had to look in my community and ask around. And interestingly, I, I didn't know that this was a thing in California. They have this, you know, no pharmacist left behind law, you know, where they don't allow a pharmacist to operate without a technician or somebody that's not a pharmacist, essentially, to do non-pharmacist duties like filling and, pick and you know, uh, pick up and drop off. Uh, and they, you know, they took it from a security standpoint. You know, the pharmacist is supposed to be the last line of defense and we're supposed to catch stuff that nobody's caught. And if I'm out here doing 20 things at once, then that's difficult. Uh, I don't think Ohio has that law here. Uh, and if we do, then uh, maybe I'm just not looking hard enough. But it would be great to see that kind of support on a national level, too, just because I feel like it's hard to argue against that from a security and a safety standpoint. You know, it's it's difficult to handle like the drive through and, you know, the in-person line and the phone calls and the whole pharmacy dispensing process with just one person. I think it's, it's a lot to ask of pharmacists who are already burnt out. Yeah. And that was done specifically to target the kind of like the abuses by bigger corporations. But I think, I think also there could be two pharmacists there, but that wouldn't be very cost effective, which makes sense. But yeah, no, I think that's a great law. I've actually had them, uh, California Pharmacists Association, on the podcast previously talk about that. And I'm glad to know that you support that because I really think that's a good law that they put forth there and the best faith effort to really make sure that we're not seeing abuses of our workers and uh, us as pharmacists and we're really able to use our skill set on every single person and not having to kind of patchwork it over just to kind of get them in and out of the store as quickly as possible. So I think that's a good one. So, hey, Torky, thanks again for coming on here. Where can people find you? And I'll make sure I put all the stuff in the show notes for the listeners. So a lot of my handles, you know, on social media, whether it's uh, Instagram or Twitter, it's just KingRxMusic. Uh, it's just, you know, it's there's no caps or no spaces or underscores, just KingRxMusic. Um, it's, it's a little bit dead right now, I'll be honest with you, just because I'm trying to focus on, you know, graduating this year and all of that. But um, I'm working on uh, on a, a big project piece that I uh, hope to base on the book Dreamland by Sam Quinones, which was kind of an expose on the epidemic. Um, I think it'd be a great way to release a whole album to kind of help as like a reader's guide to the book because it's an interesting book, but man, is it is it convoluted. And so I want people to read the book and learn the stories, and I just think this would be a fun way to to assist and facilitate that process. You know, one thing I think is really cool about that is it really shows your artistic side. But obviously, as anyone can tell by talking here, you're a very smart kid. You're you're 26 years old. You've got your world ahead of you. And you can definitely tell that you understand the pharmacy side too. And I really appreciate that because it's it's interesting and really cool to know that we've got a pharmacist out there who's breaking the mold to really kind of do something different and you know use rap which you don't really think rap and pharmacy in a positive light when you combine the two so i really i'm really appreciative of what you're doing so thanks again and keep it up thank you and i think you know what you're doing right now you know you're a pharmacist and you're doing what you love which is you know doing your podcast i'm just a, a pharmacy student who doesn't want to let go of his dreams and so i think you know if, if you know yourself then the world is yours you know and so i might piece of advice to whoever is listening is if you're in pharmacy school or med school like you're not just a pharmacy student you're not just a med student that is just a part of who you are so you got to remember that and and don't let go of anything else that you're doing because it's it's very difficult to get sucked into that world but it is so much more fulfilling to to be a whole person and pursue your hobbies and your artistic skills or sports or whatever it is you're doing so that is just what i wanted to leave everybody listening here with 
Great. Yeah, no, that's that's just good, solid life advice right there. Um, listeners, if you can share this, follow Torky on any form of social media. I know he's on SoundCloud like I am where I host this podcast. So, you know, go find him, search it out. I really like what he's doing and hopefully we'll see some big things coming from him in the near future here. But as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.